Welcome to season two of In the Arena with Now. This season, we'll be diving into collaborative action and coalition building, transformative practices for healing, joy, and equity. We'll hear from a variety of local leaders and experts about how they're co-designing and co-creating solutions within their communities, all to ensure that children, families, and all community members have access to the critical resources and opportunities they need to lead healthy, thriving lives. I'm your host, Rhonda Alexander, Director of National Partnerships with Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing at Boston Medical Center. Welcome back. I'm so excited to continue my conversation with Alensa Michelle of Powerful Pathways. Just in case you don't remember, Powerful Pathways is a public interest consultancy rooted in social practice that blends policy development, urban planning, and social impact design principles. During our last episode, Alensa and I began talking about her approach to co-designing and co-creating solutions with communities. And I can't wait to jump back into the conversation to talk about joy lessons learned, and hope for the future of collaborative solution building. Here's part two of my conversation with Alensa. My next question, I think you kind of started to allude to this. I heard you talking about sort of the pushback that you got maybe from local businesses and and from your city council rep and, and other things, but how have you seen the community respond to it? So I, I know you mentioned that they're asking, you know, during the pandemic or after they're asking you to come back. But what are some other ways that you've seen joy or healing show up or or yeah. or sort of come to life as you've been doing this work in Manpan? I love that question because it really centers on seeing the evolution, right? And there's a lot I could say, which I'll try to briefly speak to, but it was hard at first. It's always hard doing this work because the pushback does come from everywhere. We're still dealing with funders who tell us things like, oh, we, we've heard about your work and we love your work, but we just can't quite wrap our heads around you, or we're just not quite sure you're a good fit. I've heard that fit argument in so many different ways. It's nauseating, um, to be perfectly honest. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely nauseating. But on the community level, you know, like as I mentioned, we initially used to get a lot of pushback and it was sometimes surprising, like even with community leaders, people who would often profess how we needed deep change, who would say things like, we need different approaches to local leadership. And then you present a very different approach and their knee-jerk reaction is skepticism. But I think that skepticism really comes from fear, a fear of change, a fear of things going so awry, it would be hard to get back, a fear of loss, whatever that loss might be. And I remember when I first started Open Streets, Open Studios, I organized a community meeting. And there was fairly small turnout. I was really surprised to see so few people show up because a lot of people said they were going to come. But the folks who did come were immediately like, this needs to be perfect. Someone actually said that to me. They were like, this needs to be perfect because our neighborhood is only represented on the six o'clock news. 
And so if this looks, if this goes bad, it's going to make us all look bad, which is unfortunately as a woman of color, I've heard that kind of rhetoric before, mm-hmm. you know, like if Absolutely. you look bad, you make all of us look bad. As um, if we're a monolith. Right? As if we're a monolith. And that kind of harmful and archaic, if you ask me, like sentiment is deeply rooted in white supremacy, deeply rooted in white supremacy. And so part of the, what motivates me is one to kind of disprove that, but also to show people like when we talk about things like community empowerment and social justice and sustainability and community resilience and vitality, this is what it requires. It requires taking what feels like a risk, even though it's not really a risk. And so it's been interesting to see that evolution over time. You know, like I've been called a lot of things. I was called a Pollyanna by a prominent community activist and organizer because I talked about how I I still deeply believe in the idea of it takes a village. I have been called a dreamer, (laughs) an interloper at times, but what has been promising is by sticking to it and continuing to push as exhausted as I am. I do see that the community now understands Even if some folks are still concerned, they now understand the work that we do. Like with another project that we're doing called the Gentrification Mapping Project. It's a research initiative, and we're building a website right now to track what we're referring to as gentrification indicators. Like, how do you even know gentrification is happening in your neighborhood aside from seeing demographic shifts? How are we making sure that wealth is not being funneled out of? communities and they're being invested back into neighborhoods. Those we buy ugly houses signs that we see popping up everywhere is an indicator Mm -hmm. that the community is on the cusp of displacement for people are already being displaced. So we started this research and initiative with this mapping website. So folks can kind of track like what's happening in their neighborhood and it's completely open source and user-friendly because we believe in collaborative participation, which also means participatory action research. And so that was an interesting, it was working on that project where it became real to me that we are building community support and the community was starting to really recognize the value of our work. Even with this project about Blue Hill Avenue, when we were approached to work on the project, we met with the the leaders of the neighborhood council in Mattapan. And I, I said to them, this is going to be a really tough project. And we have a tough road ahead of us where we're going to get a lot of pushback from the community. We may even be called sellouts for working for a government agency that the community doesn't trust. And I was surprised, but also really humbled to hear the folks say around the table, we would rather have a group that's part of the process that we do trust than no group at all. 
there was something that you said that just really struck me about, um, I think you named yourself as a dreamer or people called you a dreamer. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what it was. And then you said that people called you a dreamer and let them call you a dreamer because your dreams are big enough. I just had this image of like your dreams being big enough to take on and to carry forward and to see the things that we're so often so blinded by white supremacy and by the water we swim in and the air that we breathe and that fear of change. And sometimes it's that fear, you know, that keeps us from our greatness. I don't know if I'm sure somebody else said that before, and I may be remembering it from like, I don't know, a workout coach or something, but it's like (laughs) that, it's that fear that says, oh, I can see it a little bit, but I, I'm too afraid to get there. I don't know how to get there. And I'm just, I'm really inspired by your willingness and your drive and the work that you're doing. I want to listen because I heard you say, talk about how you're listening to your community really deeply, but also taking them with you and sort of sometimes pushing, sometimes pulling, and sometimes just forging ahead on a path that is really centered in the joy of your community and the healing of your community. And I think that's so incredibly powerful. And so as we as we get to the last couple of minutes of our time together, what's the story that you want to tell about powerful pathways now, in five years, and perhaps in 10 years? Like what's the story that you want to be able to tell about the work that you all have done collectively and collaboratively with your community? Hmm. I love that question. It's such a vast uh, vision. And it's it's funny that you commented on the like dreamer comments that folks have made and almost used it in a pejorative way um, when referring to me that. But I love that I'm, I'm a dreamer too. And I, I really believe that we need to dream big. I really believe that in order to create just futures, We have to be willing to imagine wildly. And I do feel that there are aspects of social oppression that it's not just about taking our resources away. It's also about taking our imagination away. We've lost such an ability to imagine things. And like I've done workshops. We do racial justice and social equity workshops and when I was a youth worker, I also you know, did a lot of training like this with young people. And I remember there was one workshop that we did that I did with a, a group of teens, you know, teenagers, which you would think they have such wild imaginations as it is. But we were talking about structural oppression and using a yacht as an analogy. And so, you know, like I asked them you know, on the lower level, who lives on the lower level? And, you know, the youth promptly responded, yeah, the workers live on the lower level. I said, well, what's their life like? What kind of food do they eat? What are they exposed to? And they were like, well, they probably don't have the best food because they're workers. They don't have a lot of exposure to sunlight, but they keep the engine going, even though they don't have the most resources. And I said, okay, interesting. What about the second, the the middle floor? And they're like, oh, that's like middle-class people. They are get okay amount of food and some exposure, but they don't have the kind of benefits as the top floor. 
So I said, so what is the top four? Like, they're like, oh, those are like the elite. Like those are like first class people and they're, they're wealthy. They have access to the captain and the captain's den. And so they came up with this beautiful comparative analogy. And then when I asked them, okay, so how would you redefine the boat? And it was like this hush filled the room. And some of the youth were clever and, and kind of spin, spun the question. We're like, well, how would you do it? Because young people are, you know, that, that quick and clever, but they couldn't imagine what the boat could look like alternatively. And to me, that is reflective of the fact that when that structural oppression isn't just about preventing people from how they move around, their access to quality health or quality air or other types of resources, but they're stunted access to quality of life also robs them of their ability to imagine. And so this is a roundaway way to answer your question of what I hope the future would look like. And I hope that powerful pathways can play a significant role in helping people to regain their imagination in building a just future. I am deeply interested in systems change. I think there are an amazing amount of organizations that are doing really great transformative work and a lot of work, a lot of organizations that do direct service. But I really want to be in a space where we are bringing people together across difference and all aspects of difference. Uh, when I say that and folks are collectively imagining that. You know, there's a saying in grad school when I went to Tufts is they call the students practical visionaries. And I feel like that's a much more positive way to think about a dreamer. And how do we create practical visions together is what I hope we can do and we can strengthen as an organization so that we have the capacity to to build that work in five years. And hopefully in 10 years, we have achieved it because I don't believe we need to wait till the next generation or I don't, I don't believe it even takes a lifetime to make meaningful change. I mean, look how quickly conservatives have done so much damage in less than 10 years. Why don't we give ourselves permission to make positive change just as quickly? Man, Alenta, you have just like dropped the whole mic. (laughs) Because I'm thinking about this as a Black woman, as a mother, as a facilitator, as is even even as Vital Village Networks, as we think about the space that we hold for people and how we convene people. And just thinking about the fact that white supremacist culture has, has diminished our ability to dream because we're so focused on survival and just trying to make it make it through the day. I'm telling you, I have the theme song to good times in my head, right? <laughs> Scratching yes. and surviving, right? But we already know that and recognize that none of it really matters, right? So why not mm-hmm. dream anyway? And so as a mother, I'm thinking about how do I how do I make sure that my child knows that they can still dream, 
right? Mm. That they they can continue to dream and reimagine and like don't be afraid of a wacky or quote unquote crazy or wild imagination because that's the thing that's going to move us forward. Exactly. Um, and I've always even thought of myself as a dreamer, but I think you just put a whole new spin on it. Like I'm a practical visionary. Like we are visionaries and we need visionaries in order to move our work forward, in order to move our communities forward, in order to find the joy and live in the joy and thrive. Because if we don't have the visionaries and the vision, what are, what are we working towards anyway, right? Right. And so creating space for folks can see and know that you might be afraid, but but we're going with you. Like you said, we might pull you, we might drag you, we might push you a little bit and we might go ahead, but we're going to get there. So Alinta, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your wisdom with our listeners. Your work to dream for and alongside your community resonates so deeply with me. I am confident that the work of Powerful Pathways will continue to nourish the imagination of individuals and communities so that we may design just spaces grounded in our joy. To learn more about Alinsa and Powerful Pathways, be sure to check out their website linked in this episode's show notes. Be well and take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to In the Arena with Now. To learn more about the Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, please visit the online forum at networksofopportunity.org. Along with webinars, blogs, and links to this podcast, the NOW Forum hosts a ton of additional resources through our searchable database. This episode was produced by Rhonda Alexander, Corinne Bauman, and Diana Rivera. Edited by Resonate with music by Akira Sora. In the Arena with Now is sponsored by Vital Village Networks at Boston Medical Center and made possible by funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. 